Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 6. Julie, thank you for doing our reading this morning. The Lord bless you. Would you all join me now as we pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word? Let's pray. Lord, we are lost without you. Lord, we are unsure of what is right and wrong without you. Lord, we don't know what to believe without you. And Lord, we have no hope without you. So we are so grateful that we have you, that you have made yourself known to us, that you are not just distant, but you are as present as our own hearts, that you live in and around us. Lord Jesus, we give you the praise, we give you the thanks. And we pray, Lord, for those in our midst who might be filled with fear rather than with the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would ask right now, that you would fill them with your peace that is beyond understanding, that is not based on circumstances, but is based on the filling of the Spirit of Christ and a knowledge of him. We pray, Lord, that you would speak truth to us today, that you would use me by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of your word, to speak to every single heart that's listening to this message that you would accomplish your purposes for your glory, for your kingdom, and that we'd be benefited and we would be more like Jesus Christ because of what you tell us today. Lord, may I be able to step aside from myself and let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Lord, we pray for friends and family members who perhaps are having an extremely difficult time right now. Some are without income, some without food, some are perhaps ill. And Lord, we ask you to minister to them and show us how, as a body of Christ, that we might be able to help them with prayer and with our hands and our gifts. Lord, bless our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are worshiping you now. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The cure has been found. There's a worldwide pandemic, and the cure has been found. Oh, probably not the cure you're hoping for, and maybe not the pandemic that you're thinking of right now, but there is a worldwide pandemic that is killing every single person on the planet. It's ubiquitous. It is everywhere. It has infected every single person who has ever lived. It's a deadly virus. It's a virus called sin. And the root cause of this virus cause called sin is our own selfishness. Where you and I 
make ourselves out to be little gods and we worship ourselves. And this can be traced all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, who spread the virus to us. I've been asked if the present COVID-19 pandemic of this virus, this plague, I've been asked if it is the judgment of God. And that's an important question to ask. It's even a more important question to answer correctly. Is what's going on today around us with the COVID-19, the coronavirus, is this an act of God? And the answer is quite simple. Yes and no. <laughs> Look back with me briefly at some of the Old Testament accounts we have of plagues and destruction by the hand of God. We have the flood of, of Noah's time. We have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. We have the ten plagues of Egypt. And we have, in the book of Jonah, the impending destruction of the Assyrian city of Nineveh. And in all those things, we see a common theme. We see that God gives warnings to the people so they will repent before he sends his judgment. He seeks repentance. Paul tells us it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But the people didn't respond to God's kindness. They didn't repent. And so there was a worldwide flood. There was fire and brimstone. There were ten plagues on Egypt. But when I came to the city of Nineveh, the people repented, and God withheld his hand, and there was no judgment at that time. People have asked me if the plagues that we might be experiencing now of different forms, there have been locust plagues, there have been floods, there's this present coronavirus pandemic. They asked me, is this what's talked about in the book of Revelation? Are these the plagues of the end times? The answer is no. God has given us warning about those plagues, those future plagues in the book of Revelation. And he tells us that those who have repented, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, will not go through those plagues because we've repented already, responding to the kindness of God. And that's made clear to us in, in passages of Scripture like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 15 and John 14 and Revelation 3. And if you're not clear about these end-time plagues and that you will escape them as a believer, then you might want to listen to some or all of the 22 sermons on our podcast that I gave on the book of Revelation so you can be clear. Both the present COVID-19 pandemic and the pandemic of human suffering can be traced back to the first human sin that has infected all of mankind. Human selfishness led to sin, and sin leads to death. And the current COVID-19 pandemic is a reminder to us of a much more serious pandemic. It's ubiquitous, 
and yet it's tolerated, it's accepted, and that's the pandemic of selfishness that is killing every person on the planet. No escape, traced all the way back to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, God said it will bring death. And every form of death, even the coronavirus, is due to that first sin, which caused death to mankind. Well, I promised you I'd talk about a cure. Well, actually, God promises a cure for us, and it comes through the writings of our fellow brother Christian, who also is quarantined, the Apostle Paul, as we continue today in our letters from quarantine in Philippians chapter 2, if you turn there in your Bibles, looking at just the first part of verse 3. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Just those seven words alone, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, just those seven words alone have the potential to change your life, to change your home, to change your church, to change your family to change you and to make even your shelter in place a much better place and who doesn't want that but <laughs> one of the problems with selfishness is that it's a disease that's easy to diagnose in someone else but it's really hard to diagnose in yourself where self-diagnosis of selfishness is quite rare. And when you and I are offered help in discovering our own selfishness by someone else, they want to point it out for us and help us out, we get defensive, upset, angry. We might even say, well, what about your selfishness? And they don't find that helpful either. When a friend or a spouse says to you, you're being selfish, how often have you responded by saying something like, whoa, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. That is so helpful. You are such a blessing to me. Praise the Lord. Uh, no. See, selfishness is like a festering wound. And no one wants to have someone else touch their festering wound of selfishness. So that's why when other people touch our selfishness, it's rarely helpful to us. So what is? What is truly helpful? What's the cure for your selfishness? It's the same as the cure for my selfishness. And God tells us what the cure is. But before he tells us the cure, and before we look at the cure, God tells us first what it will look like when we are cured, to give us motivation to be cured. When you and I are cured of our selfishness, we will have what the Bible calls Christian unity. That's what happens. Look at verse 2 of Philippians chapter 2. Verse 2, make my joy complete. Paul's saying, I couldn't be happier <laughs> if you do this. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see, if we don't have Christian unity, then either one of us or both of us 
are being selfish and conceited. And when you and I are cured of our selfishness, we honor one another by putting the other person above us. We don't put ourselves down. That doesn't help anybody. We lift the other person up. Notice what it says in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, it's okay to look out for yourself. In fact, you should look out for yourself. You should look out for your own physical safety and well-being. You should look out for your own mental health. You should look out for your own spiritual well-being and emotional well-being. You should. But you should also look out for the well-being of others. Now, if you've pre-printed the sermon outline, wondering when you're going to get to fill in some blanks, now's the time. Pull it out. Here it is. Number one on the outline. Christian unity means you and me, not you or me. It means you and me, not you or me. Did you notice in verse 3, it says the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, being a team together, working together for the common good, the common goal. Intent on one purpose. And that purpose is pleasing Jesus. And when you are trying to please Jesus, and I'm trying to please Jesus, there will be unity between us. And such unity makes really great friendships, and great marriages, and great families, and great roommates, and great churches when we practice what is preached here have to be honest with you, I was pretty impressed when I noticed after our first time live streaming, there were 1,200 views. And wow, and a view, someone pointed out, is like a car in the parking lot. You don't know how many people behind that screen or how many people in a car. There could be one, there could be 10. You know, it's like, wow. And then I saw it went up to 1,300 and 1,400. And then I saw another church service and it broke 2,000. I go, woohoo! And I started counting numbers. And I started watching. And then we had one service that's reached 2,900 views. And I keep waiting for it to get 3,000. So if you haven't watched the other services, please watch them. <laughs> and I was getting kind of proud of that. And then someone said to me, hey, did you notice that evangelist Greg Laurie, that he's had 1.3 million, million views? Well, how do you think I felt? Did I rejoice for great glory? Did I go praise the Lord? Well, <laughs> not at first. I'll be honest, I was sort of jealous. And then I was working on the sermon, and it's like, it's not him or me. It's him and me. And some of you are saying that's bad English. It's he and I, I know. But either way, the important word is the And not the or. I'm a team with Greg Laurie. We're doing it for Jesus. So our 3,000 gets added to his 1.3 million. We're on the same team. 
We're not a competition. And if we're a competition, one or both of us is being selfish and conceited and making it about us, not Jesus. Maybe you can't relate with preaching on a live stream, but you can relate. You know what it's like in your home. You know what it's like in your workplace. You know what it's like at school. Well, that's the what. That's what can help happen if we're not selfish. We become a team. It's you and me. A team in our homes, a team in our marriages, a team in our churches, in our schools. A team with other pastors and churches around the world right now preaching Jesus Christ. Praying and preaching for revival and for people to know Jesus. So now for the cure. How do we get the cure for this disease of selfishness that has affected every single one of us? If only God would tell us. And he has. Verse 5. Do not merely look out for your own interests, he has told us in verse 4 but also for the interests of others. And then in verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have a Christ-like attitude. So what is a Christ-like attitude? People say, oh, you should have a Christ-like attitude. Well, what is a Christ-like attitude? He tells us, verses 6 and 7, Who, although he, Jesus, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. These two verses contain one of the greatest theological mysteries of the Bible. A mystery that's being taught to your children if they're watching the Sunday school videos the last few weeks. It's the mystery of Jesus being 100% God and also becoming 100% man. Theologians call it the hypostatic union. A couple Greek words put together. Epo and isteme. This means to stand under. The hypostatic union. It's Jesus being man and God at the same time. And he had to do that. Why? Because Jesus' untainted blood is free of the virus of sin, and it's his blood that cleanses us and heals us. And so he had to be God so he could be perfect. He had to be man so that he could shed blood, because God can't die and God doesn't have blood. And only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ can you and I be eternally cured. And the only way for you and me to be cured of our selfishness right now, temporarily, is for us, like Christ did, and listen, like Christ, we need to step down from our thrones and stop playing God. Which brings us to number two on your outline this morning or this afternoon, or this evening, as the case may be. Number two, the temporal cure. During this time period, not for eternity, but the temporal cure for your selfishness is to step down from your throne and stop playing God. Anytime you say, it's my way or the highway, it's my way or else, you are playing God. 
Do you see the irony here? I'd never noticed it before. Maybe you had. Jesus stepped off his throne and quit acting like God. Why? Because you and I keep stepping up on the throne and try to act like God. We try to make it about ourselves. Jesus' unselfishness is the cure for your selfishness and the cure for mine. Peter the Great ruled Russia from 1689 to 1725. He's viewed as the, the greatest and the most capable of the Romanov czars. I had a chance to visit St. Petersburg, the, the city that he, beat, he, he built, that's named after him. And I was there on a mission trip, and I was traveling there, and I had a chance to take a picture of, of his palace. I'd like to show that to you. This is a picture of Saint, uh, Peter the Great's palace. Not a saint. <laughs> Peter the Great's palace. And he was so impressed by the progress that he was seeing in Western Europe that Peter the Great took off his robes, stepped down from his throne, dressed like a commoner, and started traveling through Western Europe to learn from them so he could westernize Russia. He even went to Holland and worked on the docks of Holland. He then returned to Russia, and he brought back with him engineers and sailors and workmen to train his people to build a city with canals that reminded him of Holland. Here's a picture of me by the water in St. Petersburg. I, I look a little different without the mask on, I guess, as you look at that picture. That's the early 90s as I'm standing by the water in St. Petersburg. Amazing place. And he built a beautiful city with canals that looks like Holland, and it still exists 300 years later as a testimony of what can be done when one person Let's go and humbles himself for the good of others. We all love humility when we see it acted out in somebody else. But for Christian unity to work, humility needs to be acted out in you and in me. We need the East Side to have this attitude, attitude of humility in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The temporal cure, the cure right now for your selfishness, is to step down from your throne and stop playing God. Which leads us to the eternal cure. The cure for your selfishness forever. Verses 8 to 11 of the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Verse 8. And Jesus, being, a found, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Number three on your outline there, the eternal cure for your selfishness is to bow before Jesus on his throne. To bow before Jesus on his throne. When your eyes are on Jesus, they can't be on yourself. And this spiritual truth is displayed throughout creation. Every downhill racer, whether they are on skis or snowboard or perhaps on a mountain bike, knows that you need to look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. And if you're going downhill and you get focused on the tree or the rock or another person, that's what you're going to hit. Your body goes where your eyes look. And when you look at Jesus, you become more like Jesus. And when you focus on yourself, you become more selfish. You are becoming what you focus on. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The eternal cure for your selfishness is to bow before Jesus on his throne. And don't we all, in the midst of pandemic, want the cure? Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to close your eyes, even though you're watching on the screen, because I'd like you to have a private moment with the Lord as we pray. Christ's blood was shed for your sins, but he doesn't force it on you. He offers it to you. He offers you the forgiveness of your sins, both now and forever. He offers you heaven forever. He offers you perfection forever, but he doesn't force it on you. He offers it to you. Have you received the gift? And the way you receive the gift of forgiveness of eternal life is you open your heart to the heart of Jesus. You yield your will to his. And you cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. Come into my life. If you believe he died for your sins, if you believe he rose from the grave and has conquered death, if you recognize your need to be forgiven, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be cured of your selfishness forever, then I urge you, I beg you to ask Jesus Christ to come in. And you will. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.